For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Tremendous passage. Why did the Son of God need to die? There are various ways that this question can be answered. Uh, I'm continuing a sermon from Sunday, and uh, Sunday coming will be the conclusion of the sermon. And this morning, I'm going to introduce what I'm going to deal with on Sunday. So if you want to hear the end of the sermon, you have to return on Sunday. What I'm going to look at is how the nature of sin relates to substitution, penal substitution, vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that those are theological terms, and I explained some of it on Sunday, so I'm not going to explain it again today, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon which is online. So, this morning, I'm going to look at how the problem of sin relates to the need of penal substitution. For those of you who wouldn't here on Sunday, I'm going to define atonement and then we will walk into the problem of sin. The atonement is that work of God whereby he divinely and independently reconciles undeserving sinners to himself through the penal substitutionary sacrifice and death of his beloved perfect son, I added perfect in there, so that we may have fellowship with God through him, that is Jesus, and that the son may be worshipped eternally by those whom he redeemed. What this definition suggests is that it is not good enough for us merely to believe in God. It is also not good enough for God to just forgive. God cannot move on if sin is not dealt with. God has to deal with the problem of sin. It means that no one can and no one ever will be able to meet God's high requirement of righteousness. That is an important point. Because if you think you can work your way towards goodness, you have a big problem. And I will show that problem in a moment's time. In my definition, I use the word penal substitutionary sacrifice. And you may know what that, I mean, you may wonder what that means. Penal substitution really just means that the penalty of our sin has been taken by a substitute who is Jesus Christ. Hence, penal substitution. The penalty of our sin has been borne by someone else on our behalf and in our place. That's a relief. Sunday I said that there were two reasons why atonement was needed. First was the justice of God which we looked at. And secondly was the nature of sin which we will look at today. And as Sunday, I'm going to, you know in movies you have a cliffhanger, where, especially series where they build up to this point, and then they finish it in the next episode. That's what I'm doing. I'm creating a cliffhanger for Sunday. So let's consider the nature of sin and penal substitution. I'm going to introduce it for the next 30 minutes. 
And then Sunday I will finish it off. What kind of ghastly sin requires that the Son of God gives His life? Ever thought about that? What was the nature of the sin that sent Jesus Christ, who is God, to the cross? We might think in terms of personal sins, all of our sins. We may think in terms of chronological sins, sins from the beginning of time. And that would be partially right. Accumulated sins, yes. But if I understand Romans chapter 5 correctly, it is more than that. Sin stands as, e- as an eternal objection, a visceral defamation, an unrelenting uh, obstinate rebellion and revolt against a holy God. It is that which stands opposed to God in all His holiness and all that God stands for. That is what sin is. Unfortunately, sin today has been defined in a variety of different ways. Sin is called mistakes, failures, problems. For instance, anti right incorrectly asserts that sin, quote, is a failure to be genuinely human, end quote. What on earth does that mean? Because to be genuinely human is to be what? Utterly sinful. He uses the example of missing the target and he says that the target that we are missing is to be a genuine human being. And I'm like, no, when we hit the target of being a human being, you still fall short of the target. Because the target is God's high demand. God's standard. That is what the target is, and we all miss it. Have you ever done archery? So if you do archery, the the further you move away from the target, the more there is a curvature in your shot. The more easy it gets to miss the target. No. Mr. Wright, sin is an attack on God. Sin is directed towards God. What did David say in Psalm 51? Against you and you only have I what? Sinned. Even though his sin was not only against Bathsheba and against her husband, it was ultimately a defamation of God's standard. An attack of God's holiness. When Adam sinned, he didn't miss the target of being truly human. (laughs) That's insane. He missed the standard of God's holiness. See, when we meddle with sin and its ferocious attack on God, we also mess with the atonement. You don't need a savior if you're only missing out on being truly you. You can get there without Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. This tremendous book demonstrates the righteousness of God. In this chapter, and it is a crucial chapter, chapter 5, it acts as a pivotal hinge in the entirety of the book, but not only so, It is the hinge that explains the problem of sin 
and the righteousness and justification that comes as a need for the problem of sin. In chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, we find two theological pillars, justification and reconciliation. But in chapter 5, verse 12 through to 21, we find, as Paul defines, the basis of our justification and reconciliation. Paul tells us why we are condemned and thus why we need atonement and justification. He tells us why we are alienated from God, and that is from verse 12 through to the end. The passages chosen was not by design. Someone chose it, not, not me. But it, it, it just falls in line with what this sermon relates to. Paul proceeds, proceeds to tell us the reason why you are far from God, the reason why you need reconciliation, The reason why I and all of us here and all of us over this world cannot work our way towards God because no work will ever be good enough for God. Paul speaks about the doctrine of original sin. The real reason why we need to be atoned for, the real reason why atonement exists is because of original sin. This is the problem of why we are alienated from God. As tremendous and immense the truth of justification is, if we do not understand the original sin, if we do not understand what happened in the garden, all of that means nothing. Why is this doctrine of sin so important? Because our understanding of sin determines how we understand the cross, grace, atonement, and salvation. If sin is a partial fall, then there is a partial working with God in salvation. But if sin is an utter, depraved state that we are in, that means that there is nothing good in us. And we need divine help to bring us back to God. It is only when we understand the weight of Adam's sin and our solidarity with Adam and our very nature which results in rebellion against God, only when we understand this, that the cross truly makes sense. Otherwise, the cross will always be foolishness to you. If God does not lift the veil of confusion over our eyes, the veil that cannot see the truth of our need, we will not see the significance of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But when that happens, we gladly and freely throw ourselves before the cross saying, Lord, save me. The problem that is in Adam is that we are all born dead in Adam. That is what Paul says. For in Adam all died and death spreads to all men. That is not just natural death, that is spiritual death as well. Now I want you to think about this. If we are all subject to the penalty of sin, then we all should die. Because when does God condemn sin? 
in the garden. God curses Adam and Eve and every child of Adam in the garden. God doesn't deal with the sin of problem in the garden, but he condemns Adam. What is the condemnation? You will die. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. Death, daily deaths, is a reminder of the Garden of Eden. It's a reminder that God cursed all mankind in Adam to die, and we die. But we don't think of death in terms of there's a problem. Normally it's shame. Why did that have to happen? The answer is pretty simple. We are children of Adam. We are all cursed to die in Adam. That is God's judgment on humanity. All the daily deaths, all the deaths of humanity does not appease the wrath of God. Something needs to change to take the children out of Adam and convert them into the children of God. Something needs to change in order for that to happen. Look at verse 16. I'm going to read a couple of verses to give the sense here. But verse 16 kind of captures what Paul is after. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. That is Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. What is he talking about? One event that results in condemnation for all people. Now it is important to know that Paul very carefully chooses the word sin as a singular event. Not sins, plural. Now let that settle for a moment. Paul states that there was one offense or one sin and all got condemned because of that one sin. And you may say, not fair. I wasn't, I wasn't there. You know what? In a family dynamic, we get the same problem. Let's say a father is a thief. Is the family affected? Yes, that's your answer. The family is affected. Either in his absence or there's a raid on the house. Doesn't matter. The family is affected by the father's sin. When the mother sins, is the family affected? Yes, that is your answer. If the child sins, is the family affected? Yes. Why? Because sin affects everyone. That is what happened in the garden. When Adam sinned, all his children were affected because everyone was seminally present in Adam in the garden. Let me explain that. When um, your father and mother come together, they create a child. That creation of a child, um, you can speak to your father and mother about the birds and the bees. I'm just going to cover over, I'm going to gloss over that. When they come together, they... Create a child. Some part of the father and the mother is present in the child, right? Some of the attributes get transferred over. And we see that. We know that. Unfortunately, my boys are very much like me. And it frustrates me. Because I see my sin in them. And so I get angry at them because I see my sin present in their lives. Here's what happened in the garden. When Adam sinned, he transferred... 
his, his sinfulness to everybody that will come from his loins. One sin made us all accountable before God. Now this may shock you a bit. The question that I, I, leaded, I led with, leaded, I led with was, what is the ghastly sin that, that necessitates the death of Jesus Christ? What is the sin? Think about it very carefully. It was not murder, was it? It was not coveting, was it? It was not perversion, was it? This single act of sin was disobedience to a simple command. What was the command? Do not eat. Think about that. One simple command. Don't take that fruit. Folks, it was an apple. It was not an apple. I hear some of the guys in our church, you should know better. Please don't ever call it an apple. You will be excommunicated. <clears throat> no, 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 I'm just joking. God said the day you take of it, here's the condemnation. You will die and in dying you will die. It's emphatic. You not only start the elements that causes death, but you will shut yourself off from life eternally. One sin. One command. And yet the effects of that single event is felt today. How is it felt today? Because we die. Because in taking that, you will not only start the effects of sin, but you will be estranged from me forever. What does God do after that? He cuts them off from him. He sends them away. Wow. The state of sin in which we are all born in is the result of that one offense. But not only the state of sin, but the net result of sin, which is what? Death. God alerts you to the problem of sin every day as people are dying. He's saying, look at the garden. Remember that event. It was one command that was broken and all of us suffer the consequences of that one command. So let me ask you, do you think that you could ever work your way towards God? If the perfect man, the man who was created without sin, without a belly button, just think about that, let it sink. The man who was created, perfect in essence, if he could not keep one command, that's the only command God gives him. And God says, this is my standard, that you obey what happened? Adam could not obey. Could not obey. In fact, I will venture to say, did not want to obey. Eve was deceived, but as Adam chose to rebel. You may think, well, again, I wasn't there. Why does it matter to me? Because it doesn't matter that Adam sinned once. 
Just as Adam sinned, so too you would have all sinned. Let me say it in a different way. We all are guilty of the same sin because we all sinned in Adam. The state of sin we are all born in places us in an eternal, ongoing, unchangeable condition of being in revolt against God. From that moment, we are all born in revolt against God. When a child comes out of the womb, what do they do? They scream. That's their revolt coming out the minute they, they come out of the womb. Ah! I don't want to be born. That is a joke. Thank you for laughing. The point is that from Adam, everybody is born in that state, standing with their fists in the very face of a holy God. Not only so, but they are unwelcomed in the presence of God. Not only so, but they are unwilling to come to God. Keep your hand here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person, person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. That is us. We refuse to accept it. Notice this verb, does not. There is an unwillingness to accept the things of God. Note the second line. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Without the Spirit of God, you will not be able to get it. So something has to happen in order for the lights to go on, which happens in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. We are in revolt against God. See, death cuts us all off from life. Death brings separation. Death is a visual reminder of our spiritual condition. Revelation 20, verse 14. Notice the final effect of this one event in the garden. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That is the final separation from God forever. God will ultimately cut you off from Him forever. Why? Because of one act. The one act results in judgment and condemnation. This means that we will all be just and convicted and found guilty and therefore be eternally condemned for our rebellion and our participation in Adam's sin. Not only so, for our own sins against God. And you may still object. Yes, but I wasn't there. The answer is, it does not matter that you weren't there. Does it matter if the child is present when the father steals? No, but he still gets affected. This simple command, do not eat, 
was disobeyed. I want you to understand the weight of this. One, dare I say, little transgression. It's not so little. One transgression of God's command was enough to be eternally judged by God. Do you see it now? One act of disobedience on one command is enough to be eternally separated from God. There are those who say, well, God is petty. No, if God does not deal with that one sin, then he defames his own character. Then he disowns his own holiness. Let me show you that God does not see you and Adam any different. Remember one event. I have ten minutes to wrap this up. Two reasons. Number one, breaking one of any of God's command commands are equal to breaking all of God's commands. Let me, let me just correct that um, grammatical error. Breaking one of any of God's commands is equal to breaking all of God's commands. Look at 5 verse 13, Romans 5 verse 13. <clears throat> Back up to verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Genesis, the disobedient act, and death through sin, the net result is that we all naturally now die, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So before God, before Moses... Death and sin was present. And he's going to explain this. But sin is not counted where there is no law. What on earth does that mean? Does it mean that God did not judge them for their sin because there was no law? No, no, that's not the point of his argument. Because he says in verse 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. This is what he's saying. It didn't matter that there was no law between Adam and Moses. They still died. Why did they die? Because they are still guilty. They are still sinners. The law doesn't mean that there is now a, um, uh, a, a sin just related to the law. In fact, the law was given to do what? To bring about more sin. That's what Paul says. That... When there wasn't a command, I didn't desire the thing. But now that God says, don't cover it, what do we do? Have you ever gone to a mall or to a park where it says, do not walk on the grass? Do not touch wet paint? What, do, uh, what does a guy like Keenan or Wayne do? He will touch the paint. And then like, oh, it's wet. That's what we do. Paul, and I should say, God does not see any difference because they still died. He does not see any difference whether it is the one sin or the sin under the law. It didn't matter that there was no law between Adam and uh, Moses because they are still guilty. Why? Because of one 
offense. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. All that means is that no one sinned like the sin of Adam, but yet they died the death of Adam. Because God didn't give them the command, don't go and eat the fruit. That was specifically for Adam. So what he means then is until the law came, now there are commands that they can disobey and would be guilty of those commands just like Adam. So when people speak about a covenant or a law in the garden, it is that command, but it's not a covenant, it's a command, it's a law that God gave to him. This is why trying to live by the law, trying to do good enough is so futile. Because nobody could. Even when the law came in, it was not so that they could be good and perfect. The law is perfect, but man is not. Out of all the people in the world, there is one man, besides Jesus Christ, who did not have the pressures of a fallen nature. Who is that? Adam. What happened to him? He fell. Do you think you could do any different? So how then do you think you could please God by all the works that you are doing? God is not interested in good works. The effects of Adam's act is transferred to all. And that's what Paul is emphasizing in Romans chapter 5. Secondly, the reason why the transgression is so problematic is because God is holy and cannot fellowship with those who disobey him. Still in Romans chapter 5, look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So, condemnation, which is the separation from God. God cannot fellowship with us even though it was one offense. God cannot hang out with Adam anymore. Remember what it said before that God came and walking in the cool of the day. God walked with Adam unlike anyone else. Yet this act of disobedience led to condemnation for all of us. God is so holy and so righteous that this one quote-unquote simple act resulted in complete separation from God. See, disobedience, doesn't matter what it is, disobedience cannot be overlooked by God. He must deal with it. God has to deal with it. Yet here's the problem. We are all born in a state of disobedience. That innocent little baby, as sweet as they are, you know when they don't get their milk on time, this sinful nature will tell you, you're the worst mom or dad in the world. Babies know how to do guilt trips before it was called guilt trips. See, sin is a vicious attack on the holiness of God. It is a ferocious, irreconcilable separation between man and God. Notice I said man and God. Because man can never work himself back to God. 
But God, in Christ, came to reconcile the world back unto himself. The only person that can remedy the problem is God himself. This is why God gave the Son. A person may object and say, well, why doesn't God just forgive and forget? Well, if God sweeps our sin, Adam's one singular sin, under the carpet, the universal, global, um, eternal carpet of forgiveness, then God has compromised His holiness. God cannot walk over a single offense, and that is what Paul is emphasizing. One sin, one offense, one trespass. One, one, one is mentioned over and over. Why? Because he wants you to understand it doesn't matter if it's a lifetime of sins or if it's one sin. They are all equal before God. Now put yourself in that situation. Would you do any different to Adam? I bet you won't. From the first book in the Bible, God shows his high and holy standard by means of one command. Cannot be broken. Adam sinned just once. How long have you lived? Seven, ten, twelve, twenty-five, thirty-two, forty-seven, sixty? Well, nobody lives beyond sixty anymore, right? So seventy? How? How many years of life do you have? How many sins have you racked up? I bet it's gazillion. Is there anything more than that? Googleillion? <laughs> I don't know. I bet it's a lot. Doesn't matter whether it was one sin or the biggest number you can come up with doesn't matter. All of them deserve the just punishment of being eternally separated from God. That's the problem. That's the bad news. So then, we need good news. Back to 518. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Children of Adam are subject to the condemnation in Adam. That's all of us. But children of the Lord are forgiven in the one who dies on their behalf. The free gift is either the sacrifice of Jesus or his righteousness. It's both, I think, but I lean more to the sacrifice of Jesus. The substitutionary grace gift of Christ comes after many trespasses. God didn't send the Son after one sin. He sent, them, sent him after a whole litany, a history of sins were committed against him. Which means that God took all our sins and laid it on Christ. Even that one sin of Adam. And he bore the penalty that we should have borne 
in our place on the cross. That is penal substitution. Jesus died in the place of guilty condemned sinners, bearing the wrath of God on their behalf. Our solidarity with Adam makes us guilty and worthy of eternal punishment, but also on the same basis we are counted, as we are counted guilty in Adam, so we are counted righteous in Jesus Christ. See, if we lose this doctrine of original sin, then we lose the atonement, we lose our justification. Because the Bible makes a corresponding union between the first Adam and the last Adam. It's called the, the, the eschatos, Hadam, the last Adam. Both Adam and Christ stands as representative heads of their people. They will always be children of Adam, but now they are children of God. Everyone born of Adam is born with a nature opposed to God, but everyone born in Christ is born with a nature that desires obedience. God condemned Adam for his disobedience. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. But God condemned our sin in Jesus Christ, which means there is a new life and a new walk and a newness that is given to all who are in him. Therefore, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. No longer is the wrath of God hanging over us, if you believe. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law uh, from for the law of where was it now? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned what? Sin in his flesh. It's dealt with on the cross on our behalf. That is what penal substitution does for us. Jesus paid it all. What then do you want to do to please God? You can do nothing since He, our substitute, paid every debt of sin that we owed. You know what the Bible tells us to do? Repent and believe. That's all that God requires of you. Repent and believe that you may be saved. That is the nature of sin. It brings a separation between us and God and places us underneath the wrath of God. That is why we need the penal substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So what then is penal substitution atonement? Come on Sunday as we explore what that means. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful to you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, for the substitution of his life in the place of ours. We are thankful that we do not have to bear the penalty for our sin, but that we can be forgiven. 
that there is reconciliation and that there is life in Jesus Christ. We pray for those who have not been redeemed yet. May they come to understand the weight of their sin before you. May they come to see that your holiness demands the justice and the judgment and the due penalty of their sin and rebellion. May they also come to see that Jesus has died so that they may live. Thank you, Father, for providing your Son in our place and in our stead. We pray now as we magnify your name. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.